0: Last Sunday, we began a series called The Voice. We said that God is not silent, nor is He speechless. That God desires to speak into the situations that we face. He desires to speak to every individual, to every family, to every church. But God doesn't always shout to get our attention. Sometimes He whispers. And here's what I found. Maybe you found this to be true as well. In the hardest times of life, God often speaks the softest. You found that to be true? In the hardest times of life, God often speaks the softest. Maybe I could say it this way. When you need Him the most, sometimes God whispers your name. But those whispers of God can be timely and life-changing. God's whispers can renew our faith. It can restore our hope. It can Redirect our lives. And if there's one story in the Bible that proves that point. The power of God's whispers. It's the story of Elijah in 1 Kings 19. Would you open God's word to the Old Testament story of Elijah, 1 Kings 19. While you're turning to that text, I will give you the context. Elijah in 1 Kings 18 boldly faced 450 prophets of God with great faith and courage he stood in front of all the people and he stood in front of the 450 prophets of God on uh, prophets of Baal I should say the 450 prophets of Baal on top of Mount Carmel and as he confronted these 450 prophets of Baal he defeated them and he destroyed them and we pick up the story in chapter 19 verse 1 now Ahab told Jezebel Everything that Elijah had done, and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent to Elijah to say, sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Look at verse three, the important verse. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Jezebel. Just at the word of Jezebel, he takes off running and he runs as fast and as long as he can. Why could he stand in front of 450 prophets of Baal and yet run as something that Jezebel said to him? As a week as I've studied that, I was wondering about that. And then I was, I was reminded of something in Scripture. And I want you just to listen to it. Don't even turn there. It says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. See, Elijah had been on the spiritual high, literally on a mountaintop. He'd been on a spiritual high on this mountaintop, standing for God against 450 prophets of Baal. And after that, after Satan was defeated on Mount Carmel, then he chose to speak through Jezebel. And as he spoke through Jezebel, fear came into his heart. And the Bible says he ran for his life. Now look how far he ran. Uh, Could you guys turn this down just a little bit up there? Look how far he ran in verse 3. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. And when he came to what town? Beersheba. He came to Beersheba. Beersheba is in Judah, it says in verse 3. Now, you don't have a map there in front of you unless you want to turn to the back of your Bible. But let me give you a geography lesson. Mount Carmel is in the northern part of Israel. If you can imagine where the Sea of Galilee is, over to the west, between the Sea of Galilee and the Mediterranean Sea is Mount Carmel, the northern part of Israel. Beersheba is in the southern part of Israel. So he ran from the northern part of Israel down to the southern part of Israel, running for his life. But he didn't stop there. Look what else he did. Pick up the story in verse 3. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, and while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. So he left his servant. Where did he leave his servant? I want to make sure you're with me. He left his servant where? Then he continued to run south a day's journey into the desert, into the wilderness or the desert. And he came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Have you ever said that to God? Have you ever said, I've had enough? God, I've just had enough. I can't take it anymore. I can't deal with this anymore. I can't go here anymore. I can't do this anymore. I've had enough. And he was about ready to give up. He says, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he laid down under the broom tree and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. And he looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals, and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. Time for another nap. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. And strengthened by that food, he traveled how long? Forty days and forty nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Now Horeb is an interesting place for him to end up. Many scholars believe that Horeb is the same mountain that in other places is called Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai sounds familiar to you. That's the place where Moses first met God on Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai. The burning bush experience that Moses had where God called him into ministry and God called him to go to Egypt and set his people free. That happened on that same mountain, Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai. Also, once Moses led the people of Israel out of Egypt and back towards Israel, back into the Promised Land. The Bible says they stopped again at Mount Sinai. And that's where God gave the Ten Commandments. It was Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb. It was located in the Sinai Desert, about 250 miles south of Beersheba. It was the land between Egypt and Israel. Again, if you geographically can picture this, in the Sinai Peninsula near the Red Sea was where Mount Horeb was. 250 miles south of of Beersheba, almost to to Egypt. And it says in verse 9, There he went into a cave and spent the night. Of all the enemies and giants that Elijah faced, perhaps none so devastated him as the giants of fear and and fatigue. He collapsed in under exhaustion and and discouragement as he lay down in this cave, running for his life and hiding from Jezebel. Someone said, The best of men are but men at their best. And that's true. I like the way James describes Elijah in James 5 17. He says, Elijah was a man just like us. Just like us. The combination of emotional burnout and weariness and hunger and fear had brought Elijah to a cave of despair where he, there appeared to be no hope in sight, there appeared to be nothing that would change about his situation. And he ran as far as he could. He went to this cave and he lay down in exhaustion and in weariness. And he experienced what Bill Hybels called a dark night of the soul. A dark night of the soul. And so God asked him a question. And it's a question that implies that he was not at Mount Horeb at God's direction. But in fact, he was perhaps following his own misguided reasoning. Here's the question. It's in verse 9. God says, And the word of the Lord came to him there in that dark cave. The word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? This is not where I want you to be. This is not where I intend for you to be. This is not where I intend to use you. What are you doing here, Elijah? We could read it this way. What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah? You were the man not long ago was on top of Mount Carmel. Now you're in a cave. You were the man who was standing in great faith against the 450 prophets of Baal. Now you're running at the words of one woman. What are you doing here, Elijah? Yeah, I wonder, you need to understand, you probably already know this. God had no need to ask that question. He already knew the answer. But he asked it anyhow because nothing hooks us and prize us open quite like a question does. You see, you can talk at me all day long. You can talk all that you want to, and I can choose whether or not to listen. Men, you know this to be true, right? You, you know what I'm talking about, right? Men have that gift, right? The wife is talking and talking and talking. It doesn't mean he's listening. We, you can talk at me all day long, and that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm listening. But, If you ask me a question, I'm drawn into a conversation. God desires a relationship with us. He doesn't want to just talk at us. He wants to talk with us. Sometimes He asks a question to pry us open. The question that He asked Elijah was, What are you doing here? You see, Elijah was not where God wanted him or needed him. Elijah was was hiding. And the courage he had on Mount Carmel was nothing more than a memory now. And so God asked him that question to begin the process of restoring this broken prophet. What are you doing here, Elijah? And I want you to look at his answer in verse 10. He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, your Broken down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. And, in case you didn't know this, I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. It's interesting that Elijah describes himself as very zealous for the Lord. His zealotry is now at a zero, as he's hiding in a cave. He's ready to call it quits. The message translation translates that verse this way. I've been working my heart out for the God of the angel armies. And he was in essence saying, and what has it gotten me? How has it helped me? And my guess is some of you know that feeling. You were zealous for God. You were very involved in serving Him. You were dedicated to Him. But all of that is just a memory now. And you're ready to call it quits. Emotionally, you're burned out. Spiritually, you're dried up. But there's this deep sense of failure and disappointment as you sit in your cave of discouragement. You need the same thing that Elijah needed. You need a whisper from God. Look at verse 11. Let's continue this story. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but, after, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. Theologians call these demonstrations theophanies. That's a big word that simply means manifestations of God. In the Bible, God would sometimes dramatically manifest Himself. Sometimes He would dramatically manifest His awesome presence and His awesome power. There were theophanies, manifestations of His power and His presence. And that's what God did for Elijah. But, think about this. Elijah had already seen that, hadn't he? Isn't that what happened on top of Mount Carmel? Fire fell from heaven. He saw a theophany. He saw the awesome manifestation of God's presence and God's power. He had already seen that. So why this display? Why this rerun? I think God was saying to Elijah, listen, you may be frazzled and afraid and ready to quit, but I want to remind you, I'm still who I was on Mount Carmel. I'm still God. And may I say to you, dear friend, even if you're experiencing a dark night of the soul, He's still God. Your feelings do not change who He is. The darkness you are experiencing does not change who He is. And so God gave this dramatic display to remind Him, I believe, I'm still the same God you saw on Mount Carmel. The problem is, you're, still, you're not the same Elijah I saw on Mount Carmel. What are you doing here, Elijah? Then after this dramatic display of power, there was what the Bible calls in verse 12, a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he stepped out of the cave and he met with the Lord. Verse 13. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him a second time, and I believe perhaps said to him in a whisper, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah. And Elijah gives the same old answer he gave before. He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword, and I am the only one left, now they're trying to kill me too. There are three truths I want you to grab hold of today before we leave, based on this story of God's interaction with this discouraged prophet. Two, three very simple truths, but three very powerful truths. Here's the first one. Please, maybe write this down. Here's the first one. God knows where you are. God knows where you are. Here's the reason I say that. In verse 3, Elijah left his servant where? In Beersheba. So from Beersheba on, Elijah was by himself. In Beersheba, he left his servant. Then he went a day's journey alone into the desert. And after that, He traveled 40 days and 40 nights alone until he reached Mount Horeb. And when he finally went into the cave, there was not a person on the planet who knew where he was. But there was a God in heaven who knew exactly where he was. God knew exactly where he was. Guys, I don't know if maybe ladies too, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but I've had it. I've been out hunting before and I've I've gone hunting. I just told Lisa I was going to hunting, didn't tell her where I was going. I was going by myself and... And nobody else knew where I was hunting. And I've had those experiences where I've been out in the middle of nowhere and I thought, there's nobody on the planet who knows where I am right now. I mean, if something were to happen to me, which is not the smart thing to do, to go by yourself, not let anybody know where you are, but but I've thought it more than once. Nobody, nobody knows where I am. Except God. And God always knows where I am. And God always knows where you are. Elijah ran for 40 days and 40 nights by himself across the desert wandering around and finally stumbling his way into a cave and nobody knew where he was until he heard the voice of God. What are you doing here, Elijah? David said it best in Psalm 139. David said, O Lord, you have searched me And you know me. And you know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar. Listen to this. He says, you are familiar with all of my ways. Can I say to you, friend, that God has not lost your address. He knows where you are. He knows that you're hurting. And He knows where you are. Now, I know that some of you sitting here, if you are in that deep darkness of the soul and you're hurting, some of you might be feeling like I did at McDonald's a couple of weeks ago. Do you remember the big snowstorm that we had? You all remember that? And it just kind of shut us down. You remember that, right? How many inches did we get? You know, two feet. All right, we got two feet of snow. Just shut us down. You all remember the big snowstorm? After being in the house for a couple of days, we... We decided to go sleigh riding and we we borrowed a sled and and we went over to Easley to a park and we went sleigh riding and had a good time. And after that, we decided, well, you know, after you've been in the house for a while, you go stir crazy, you just want to get get out and do something. So we said, well, let's go get something to eat. And so we drove into Easley on 123. Most of the places were still closed. The roads were still semi-clear, but not totally clear. And most of the eating establishments were closed. But we noticed that McDonald's was open. And so we quickly pulled into McDonald's, and you know, that's better than nothing. So we went into McDonald's, and, and uh, Lauren and Jonathan were just going to go in and get something because the, the, the uh, drive through line was just backed up big time. It was in, Over and easily, it's too wide. And it, there was probably about eight, nine, probably about ten cars, at least ten cars in the drive through line. So we said, why don't you all run in and get something? We'll take it home. I said, okay. So Lauren and Jonathan jumped out. They went to go inside, they came back and said, that's close. just the drive-thru is open. I said, okay, so we'll get in line. So we got in line, and we were waiting, and, and you know, it was moving slowly, but it was moving, and, and I happened to look behind me. There, there was probably, no exaggeration, probably about 15 cars behind me. So I turned to Jonathan, who was driving. I was in the passenger seat. I said, son, we got here at the right time. I mean, look at all the cars behind us. Good night. And, and then the line was moving slowly, but it was moving. Uh, and I felt sorry for the guys working inside. I like, they got to be overwhelmed. I mean, you know... It, we were just sitting there a long time and it was just moving real slow but it was moving just real slow and I kind of felt sorry for him. I should have knew something was wrong when when a lady came by us she was driving and she had her phone out like this and she was filming us as she drove by and laughing. (laughs) So that's strange. What's wrong with that nut? You know, just... So we sat there another five minutes or so uh, we, were, we were in line for 15, 20 minutes, but I mean, where do you go when it's only show in town that's open, right? And so we just waited our turn, and, and eventually, it, those two lines, you know, slowly moving. eventually we got up to the speaker, and we waited for the lady, but, or the guy, whoever's going to wait on us, didn't hear anything yet, but, you know, they were busy on the other side, the other line, and so we were waiting and waiting and waiting. Suddenly, we see this guy in a car come around the other way, the opposite direction. He come by, and he stopped right beside me. My window was down. He stopped beside me, and he said, they're closed. I looked at Jonathan, and he looked at me and was like, no, no, they're not closed. The cars have been moving. And he pulled on away, and we, we, we sat there debating. What do we do? Because we are now at the speaker. We're going to lose our place in line. And we noticed, well, you know, I haven't heard anything come over those speakers. Well, and so Jonathan said, let's just go check. So we pulled out of line. And I'm thinking, I don't know if this is a good idea. We're going to have to go back around and get in line again. And we get up to the other side. Sure enough, they were closed. I mean closed. Nobody there. Except 25 cars in line thinking they're getting food. (laughs) And so we felt obligated to go tell the people who were in line that it was closed. You know, So we turned around, did what the other guy did for us. And we came around. And we got to the guy who was at the speaker. His window was down. My window was down. I said, they're closed. He looked at me like I was a nut. <laughs> no, they're not closed. The line's been moving. You know, don't, they're not closed. And then we, we, we said, okay, we just kind of, you know, did that. And we started to drive off. And we just started laughing at all the people who were in line. And then there were more. We were trying to get out, but we couldn't get out because cars were still coming in. And we were laughing at them because we know they're closed but the people in line won't believe us. Here's the reason I had problems with believing that. What I was hearing did not match what I was seeing. I was seeing the cars move up. I was seeing the line move. And though he told me they're closed I didn't believe him because what I was seeing was something very different. And When I tell you when I tell you that God knows where you are. You hear me say it, but what I'm saying sounds a lot different from what, you're hear, from what you're seeing. What you're hearing sounds different from what you're seeing in your life. What you're hearing, when I say God knows where you are, you say, Preacher, I hear that, but what I see in my family looks a whole lot different. I hear that, but what I see in my life looks a whole lot different. What I look is what I see in my home. I hear what you're saying, but it doesn't match up with what I'm seeing. And you have a hard time believing that God knows where you are because you're in that cave of despair. You're in the darkness of the soul. Then you can hear somebody tell you, but what you see doesn't match up. All I can do is be the person who comes around to tell you the truth. And here is the truth. God knows where you are. If he can find Elijah in a cave in the middle of the desert, he can find you. He knows your address. He knows where you live. He knows where you are. And you are not forgotten. In fact, that brings me to the second point. Not only does God know where you are, here's the second simple powerful point I want you to get. God is near. God is near. Now, as I studied this text, I had to ask myself, why did God whisper? Because He already spoke in a voice in the cave, right? God spoke to Him the first time said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah heard him fine. He spoke to him in the cave fine. And then God said, Now, I want you to go out to the mouth of the cave and I want you to experience the presence of God. And when he went out to the mouth of the cave, after the, the wind and, and the earthquake and the fire, then he heard this whisper. And as I studied this, I thought, Why did God whisper? But I need your, your participation today in order to answer that question. I want you to turn to somebody near you. If you don't have somebody near you you're going to have to turn around perhaps if you don't know that person just introduce yourself and here's what i want you to do in fact take 15 seconds and introduce yourself in case you don't know them go ahead get somebody all you need is their name you don't you don't need their history or anything all you need is their name all you need is their name this is not a time to get a date all you need is their name okay all right you got their name here's what i want you to do I want you, listen, listen carefully, some of you don't follow directions very well. Turn to someone near you and whisper, what are you doing here? And put their name in the blank. Just whisper that to them. What are you doing? Go ahead, whisper. That's the most whispering I've seen in church in a long time. Did you notice my instructions? All right, I need you to look at me now. I need so y'all don't follow directions very well. I need you to look at me now. Did you notice my instructions? I said, turn to someone near you and whisper. You see, in order to whisper to someone, you have to be close to them. You can't whisper to someone on the other side of the room. You have to whisper to somebody that's near you. God could whisper to Elijah because he was near him. Look at verse 11. It's beautiful. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood to the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? In several places of Scripture, God promises that He will never leave us. This concept is a little hard for us to grasp because we can only be one place at one time. We can't be one place everywhere. But God is not like that. He is Spirit. He is fully accessible everywhere we are. And so here's what I want you to grab hold of. Here's what I want you to understand. Not only does God know your address... But wherever you find yourself, God is near. And the reason that he whispered to Elijah, though he had already talked to him in the cave, the reason reason that he whispered to Elijah, because he wanted Elijah to know, I'm right here with you. You've got to be close to somebody in order to whisper to them. You've got to be in their presence in order to to whisper to them. They have to be in Your presence in order to whisper to them. Go to Psalm 139. Put your finger there in 1 Kings. Go to Psalm 139. Psalm 139, verse 7. Where can I go from Your Spirit? David asked. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. And if Elijah was reading that, he'd say, I know, I know you're exactly right. And even if I run 40 days and 40 nights across a desert and hide in a cave, Even there, you're with me. Some of you need to hear that today. No matter where you are, God is near. On our jobs, in our marriages, in our neighborhoods, in our cars, the omnipresent God is with us, offering us courage and peace. His presence is important all the time. I want to tell you something. His presence is critical in tough times, isn't it? It's critical. Psalm 34 verse 18 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He's close to the brokenhearted. Here's what that means to you and me. If you're a believer, whenever you feel the ceiling caving in on you, and you you, you feel like life can't get any worse, and it's probably never going to get any better, I want you to know, there is a comforter walking by your side. He knows your address. He's near you. He has not forsaken you. Do you remember Psalm 23? I was preaching through Psalm 23 not too long ago. Remember there in that verse, it says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. That's the kind of God we serve. He's not just the great, majestic God, but He's the God who is near us and with us. And so if you're scared this week and you're overcome and you're discouraged and you're defeated, Every day you get up and tell yourself, God is near. God is near. God is near. Here's the third thing that you need to grab hold of from this text, and that's simply this. Obey His whispers. Elijah had nothing new to say to the Lord, but the Lord had a new message of hope for His frustrated servant. Going back to 1 Kings 19, Elijah in verse 14 said the same old thing he'd said earlier, but God said something new to him in verse 15. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came, which is interesting. Go back the way you came. Now, wait a minute, Lord. The way I came is where they're chasing me. The way I, there's a reason I ran from the way I came. Right? There, there's a reason I'm hiding in this cave, because the way I came is a dangerous place. And God says, go back the way you came. And then not only that, continue the story. Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, anoint Haziel, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Maholah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael, And Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel. Remember, remember, you said you were the only one left. That's not true. I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose names have not bowed down to Baal and all whose mouths have not kissed him. I love the fact that no matter how much or how often his servants fail, God is never at a loss to know what to do. God said, All right, here's what you do. I know you're in this cave of despair, I know this is the darkest night of your life of your life perhaps the hardest time of your life you're in the darkness of your soul but here's the next step are you listening here's what I want you to do the dark nights of your soul are usually the most difficult places in your life I'm going to tell you something but they're not too difficult for God God knows what the next step should be and if you're overcome by your circumstances circumstances that you seem powerless to change just remember a few things. Number one, He is near. He is with me. He hasn't forgotten my address. And when, when He whispers to you, listen, 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 when He whispers to you, just be sure to obey what He says. Are you ready for hope again? Are you ready to let go of doubt and sorrow? When he whispers your name, obey him. Somewhere between the pages of this book and the pages of your heart, God is speaking. And it might be in a whisper. You see, in the hardest times of life, God often speaks the softest because that's when he's the closest. And he whispers your name. Because He knows your need. It's hard to believe that right now, isn't it? You don't feel that right now. And what you're hearing with your ears doesn't match what you're seeing with your eyes. But it does not change the fact of who He is. When He whispers, listen for Him. And when He whispers, obey Him. He knows the next step. You don't know it. He knows it. He's never at a loss to know what to do. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank You that in the circumstances of our life, You whisper tenderly, and patiently, and persistently. Thank you, Father, that you're near today, and I pray that you would speak in your own whisper to those who need to hear your voice so badly. Give them the hope that they need. Give them the encouragement that they need. Give them the direction, I pray, that they need for the days ahead. May they step out of this dark night of the soul as they follow your whispers each day. I pray that in Christ's name.